Hello, hello, and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Scherzarko, and this is the second half of Winston and my discussion of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. This is the fourth installment in our Harry Potter and New World Wine series, in which we talk about the seminal books from J.K. Rowling and also learn a little bit about some of the New World wine regions that are out there. We decided to keep this one cozy and record by our fireplace, but things do get a little heated as I learn a terrible secret that Winston has kept from me that may threaten the very foundation of our marriage. I'm just kidding. Mostly. But I hope you enjoy our little fireside chat. As with most of our Harry Potter episodes, there are minimal spoilers in here, but if you haven't read the whole series and don't want it spoiled at all, maybe go ahead and read all the Harry Potter books before listening. I recommend that anyway. Loki's in the studio and would like to say, we wanted to give a very special thank you this week to Mike Schubert of Potterless and to all the Potterless listeners who have come to check us out. If you haven't heard it yet, you can now hear me on the most recent episode of Potterless, which, if you don't know, is a Harry Potter podcast hosted by Mike, a.k.a. Shubes, a grown man reading the Harry Potter books for the very first time. And you may remember Mike from our Spider-Man episode. For those of you just tuning in, you joined us just in time. We just started this Harry Potter series, which, to remind everyone, I will be releasing episodes of every other month. So, while you're waiting for the Prisoner of Azkaban episodes, want to check out some of our other series. We've got our Middle-Earth and Old World Wine series, if you, like me, are a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And we've got our Marvel-themed series, which we will have more episodes of soon in honor of Captain Marvel and Endgame coming out. Also, who saw the new Spider-Man trailer? Who's excited? Get at me with your thoughts. There are also tons of one-off episodes with great guests whom you might recognize from other podcasts. So please, if you haven't yet, check them all out. Whether you're new to pairing or are a long-time listener, if you are enjoying the show, why not recommend us to a friend? Or, if you've got a couple minutes on your hands, maybe you can leave us a short and sweet review on Apple Podcasts. There have been some really sweet ones on there recently, so thank you to everyone who's left us a review. Or, if you're feeling really generous, come check out our Patreon. We just added a new tier for the new year. So for $15 a month, you can become a pairing producer, and in turn, you'll get access to a monthly bonus episode diving deeper into some of the wine topics that we discuss. This month, I'll be releasing that bonus episode to the public so you can see what it's all about. And this month's topic will be unusual wine and food pairings. So make sure to follow us on social media at Pairing Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr so that you don't miss out. Speaking of Patreon, thank you to our advanced producer, Mara Zobrist, whom we love more than Jude Law as young Dumbledore. All right, without further ado, here is episode 29, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, part two. Hello. Welcome, listeners. (laughs) We're having a fireside chat to finish off the episode. We are, we are. Um, It is New Year's Day, and because last episode was a little bit of a... We we had fun. We had fun during that that recording, I I would say. We got a little derailed a few times. Uh, There was maybe some inebriation involved. I can't speak to that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but we figured it's New Year's Day today, and why not 
record by the crackling fire. What a pretty fire. What a pretty fire. That's that's related to our last episode, or one of our last episodes. I don't know when this is happening. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's (laughs) going on. Where am I? Who are all you people? Stop Stop yelling yelling at me. me. But anyway, I just wanted to wrap up Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets because we didn't really come to closure because the battery died. Um, on your recording device. Bummer. And, and that was that was sad. All right, let's wrap this shit up. Okay, so there's a few things that I wanted to talk about. First of all, this wine is still delicious two days later. Very nice. You're drinking a different wine. I'm drinking this white wine that you bought. And what yeah, is it's it? Yeah, it's really because good. it's incredible. It's, it's called Confechas. Confechas. It's from Penedes in Catalonia. Very delicious. It was one of my favorite wines that I used to sell at a store that I worked in in Brooklyn. It's almost a little effervescent, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Not quite. Yeah, just, it's very it, it's crisp, very tart. very crisp yeah. very tart. Very nice. The way my, my someone described it, which I don't think is entirely accurate, when I worked at this store, he described it as like kind of like a cheaper Sancerre. Yeah. And while I, I, I don't I get a think little Albarino from it. Too. I think it's more Albarino than it is Sancerre, yeah. but it's a nice option. It's a nice alternative. Definitely. Uh, and and so that's that's very cool. And it was cheap too. Yeah, it's like it's like fifteen bucks a bottle, and it's real good. What's real the good. name of it? Confechas. Confechas. So C A N space F E I X A S. Is At that least. is that Catalan? Yes, I believe. Emma from the future here. My Catalan clearly isn't what it used to be, so um, it's actually Can Feixes is the name of the wine that Winston was drinking, so C-A-N-F-E-I-X-E-S. I will try to post a picture of it on our Instagram because it is delicious. So I may have utterly butchered it and mispronounced it, but I believe that's roughly, roughly what, it, what, what the pronunciation is. Okay, so I just wanted to talk about, because we talked a lot about uh, some overarching themes uh, earlier, and I just Mm -hmm. wanted to touch upon a few more specific things that happen in Chamber of Secrets. Okay. First of all, let's not forget, like, how much of a Banff Harry is... This, I feel like this is. I feel like this is like the first evidence. Like we were watching the movie the other day. I was like, this kid is twelve, yeah. and he is battling a giant snake. Yep. By himself, pretty much. And then stares down Lucius Malfoy like uh, boss. I know. I know. I love that. As, I, as I've said to you uh, on previously, I do believe that Harry Potter's inner voice is like a middle-aged, angry American black man. <laughs> you know? Like, the, if you've ever seen Wizard People, Dear Reader, it's that's, tr- that's truly who I feel yeah, like Harry is yeah, on the inside. Yeah. You know? we, we have so, watched that many, many times. Pot um, of coffee by day. I think it goes, Ron goes, I'm a pot of coffee by day and a bottle of wine by night kind of guy. And yeah. Harry goes, triple, triple that, that and, and you've you got, got me. <laughs> H fucking P. So along those lines, so one thing that I did last episode that I'm going to try to do for all seven books is pair different grapes or different wines with the different with, with, characters. With, yeah, or especially with the trio. I might not do all the characters, but I'm going to try to do the trio. Okay. And last episode, I talked about how they were kind of like the three grapes of champagne. Uh, I believe I said that Hermione was Chardonnay, Harry was Pinot Noir, and... Ron was Pinot Meunier. Sort of along those lines. Um, this time, I'm going to give them another classic trio of grapes, which is Grenache, Syrah, and Movedra. 
coming, oh, which is the classic. So nice. Yes, the classic blend from the Rhone Valley in southern flat, southern Flans. Flans. In southern Flans. So who's who's who? Okay, this is what my first uh, instinct is: is that Hermione is Grenache, because Grenache is usually the most important grape, and it does kind of the most work in uh yeah. in the blend and they'd be hosed without Hermione oh, yeah. for sure she, although she she does have to sit out the last round I know one. she does she gets petrified and it really is remarkable that Harry and Ron figure it out amazing they her. pull it off it really is it really I think all boils down to luck with the wand being broken and, totally uh, and Gilderoy's memory well, charm but backfiring but they but they figured it out before then yeah they, that they and fig- the phoenix they have yes so they've got the phoenix and the sword they got a lot of the hat. help they, they, it Need, you need a magical bird and a broken wand, like a whole lot of stuff. A whole lot of things had to happen. But that being said, Harry is still a bouse. But Hermione, still more important to the book and the and the thing overall. I agree. Uh, or I agree. I agree with myself. I agree. I agree with yourself too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I think Hermione's Grenache. I think Harry's Syrah because. He, uh, what did I write down here? Because hurrah! Because well, hurrah! Hurrah, hurrah! Well, I say because he's a heavy hitter, you know, because he really Harry, you know, he's not necessarily, you know, he's not dumb, but he's not necessarily the smartest. He's not as smart as he Hermione. He can be a bit of a blunt instrument. But in a pinch, he can sure get the job done. I really don't think 12 year old me would have been like, Giant snake, oh, okay, here's a sword. Let's stab that motherfucker. Yeah, don't think I would have done that either. And, you know, yeah, I think... A, go- a ghost is trying to kill me with a giant snake. Here's a sword, let's stab that shit. All right. Yeah. I would have been think... like, I want to go home. Yeah, I would, I would peanut just... butter and honey sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> that does sound like 12-year-old Winston. <laughs> um, I was not always a hero. And I don't think, you know, while we were watching the movie the other night, I haven't... Well, I did reread the book a few days ago, but... Or a few weeks ago, or I re-listened to it, but I don't remember exactly how it goes down in the Chamber of Secrets. It's similar to how it happens in the movie, but I don't think it's quite as like epic. Like I don't think he climbs up on the. Maybe he does. Yeah, I never up. read the Chamber of Secrets. You never read the Chamber yeah, of Secrets. Hashtag confession. What? I, what? I, what? I read most of. Actually, no. I've read the first book, and then I have. Winston, this is. Breaking my heart. I have only listened to the audiobooks of the rest of them, which I well, maintain is the same as reading. I think I don't. Well, I don't know about the same I, as actually, reading. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, but no, I, I count that. I, I count Chamber that. Secrets. I count that as reading. But but if you haven't like even listened to Chamber of Secrets, I'm gonna make you do that like right now. Okay. Like, right. <laughs> like, All right. The rest of listeners the... wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you in we'll... twenty six hours. No, no. Chamber of Secrets is short. It's only like eight hours. So, pause. <laughs> and, and we're, we're back. back. <laughs> the fire's still roaring, and wow! I did not realize when I when I uh, asked you if you if you would do this one with me that you maybe didn't, hadn't even read it. I didn't realize that. So you, so do you know about like the death day party and for nearly head of the snake? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that's not in the movie. That's just. In the I book. may have heard parts of it. Okay. I'm not sure I did the whole audiobook. Wow. Wow. This is. Oh boy. I didn't realize this. This my is this interest, is some serious. My stuff whole interest in the series really started because my mom and I 
um, even though it was high school and I was like a junior and senior in high school when these movies started coming out. So you hadn't read them before the movies started coming out. I started reading the first one and was so turned off by it because I thought it was very derivative of Road Dahl. Well, it is. But that was me but... being like a snarky teenager. Yeah. And then the movies came out and my mom was like, hey, you know, you're an angsty teenager. Mm-hmm. I'm an overbearing mother. <laughs> but how about we like, she would never say that, but that's, that's who she is. <laughs> um, but she was like, why don't we go see these movies together? And we did. And we made a tradition of it. Every November when they would come out, yeah. we would go see Harry Potter like the first I used to week. Go, I used to go with my dad. Yeah. yeah. And but so, I had read all the books. Yeah. Like. So then I went back after I'd seen like the first and second movies, and um, at, I was at Sean's house actually, mm-hmm. and staying in his brother Brian's room, who was Brian's also a great guy. Um, Sean and Brian, we love them. They're they were, great guys. They're, they're both they're... groomsmen at my wedding, and yep. I was groom. Yep. I was a groomsman at Brian's, not Sean's, because I don't know why. Well, but Sean didn't really have. He didn't really have grooms. It was yeah. a pretty, pretty like, you know. Pared quickly down. thrown together yeah. very yeah. It was beautiful. skinny wedding. Was beautiful. Lovely ceremony. Now anyway. that we've talked about the bloggers <laughs> and their... But anyway, so I found the book and like couldn't fall asleep and so I read the whole first book basically yeah. Yeah. at Sean Walker's house and I didn't read any of the rest of them. I, I listened to the, the Jim Dale and Stephen Fry wow. audiobooks. Wow, I didn't know this. Yeah. I, I didn't know this, Winston. And I skipped, actually, all the way to Order of the Phoenix because I had seen the first four movies by that point. Yeah. And I was in college, and I had a long drive back and forth to Ohio to see Sammy, and so that's yeah. when I listened to the Jim... No, actually, I listened to the Stephen Fry Order of the oh, Phoenix really? first. And then I listened to the rest of the books, Jim Dale, and I went back and listened to the third and the fourth and all of them. Winston, this is... I didn't realize this. Listeners, this is this is happening in real time, me discovering this. I We may be about to get divorced. It's I possible. Don't know. It's possible. I feel like I've been <laughs> lied to in a very deep... I feel like I've been betrayed. Uh, betrayed! So, you know, my experience of Harry Potter was, I believe, in fourth grade. Yeah, that would have been right, because that would have been 2000. Yeah. And because the first... Or, no, fourth grade for me would have been 19, yeah, 2000. I was so, in sixth grade, I remember, because it was the last year I lived in Houston, and uh-huh. my dad gave me the book. I believe that the first book came out in, I want to say, 97? Because this is the second, or maybe 98, yeah. And so the second book came out in 99. So between 1999 and 2000, I believe we read Sorcerer's Stone out loud in... Uh, my fourth grade classroom. Oh, that's so fun. Isn't that fun? And um, and then I immediately bought the book and read it like four times again. Right. And then um, I remember this. This was uh, July 15th. Oh, okay. So it must have been earlier than that because this says July 15th, 1999. Congratulations, Emma. I am so proud of you and your performance. I love you, Mom. This was after... I completed my first summer at Shakespeare camp, at, wherein I played the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. I was the youngest person in the camp. I was nine years old. and So there's this nurse. <laughs> so there's this nurse. Um, I related to that so hard when Shakespeare <laughs> and Love came out. I was like, this is my favorite thing ever. Um, What's the play called? Mercutio. Oh, I love that movie. movie. So she bought me this book. So I, I, I must have... It must have been 1999 that I was in fourth grade, because I remember it being fourth grade. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because I would have been nine in fourth grade. Okay. I had read, I was obsessed with Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. 
And so my mom got this from, got Chamber of Secrets for me. And so then I grew up with the books. And by the time I was, I was, I was 18 when the seventh book came out. So I was a year older than they, or was I? Maybe I was 17. I think I would have been Percy's year because I was Mm -hmm. 13 Mm -hmm. or 12. You were two years older. 11 or 12 when the first one came out. Yeah, you were a little bit older. Maybe Fred and George, I don't know. Fred and George are only a year older. But either way, I would have been a Hufflepuff, so. Yeah, totally. But, wow, um, I might make you... Well, you've been re-listening to some of the books with me uh, on audiobook, but yeah. I might make you sit down and actually read them because there's something so magical about these books and, like, having them in your hand. Maybe it's just the nostalgia factor for me, but, like, I look at this book. This book is so old that this is the only one. I'm, I have my copy of Chamber of Secrets here for you, listeners. And, you know, it's the typical American version with the Mary Grand Prey illustrations. And every other book has the year here. Like, if you look at all my other Harry Potter books over there, they all have the year on mm-hmm. there. Um, or the, the book number. Mm-hmm. This one was so old, this is before they started doing that. Mm. So so maybe I misremember this. So maybe I, this was the first Harry Potter book that I owned. I think, I think it might have been. But I distinctly remember finishing that camp. And it must have just come out. And my mom bought it for me and gave it to me. And I probably read it in a day. Mm-hmm. And it was just... And that, and that became, you know, what happened every time a new book came out for me. Get it as soon as it came out. Read it in a day or sometimes two. You know, Order of the Phoenix. I think it took me two days because it is 800 and something pages long. But that was such a fundamental part of my childhood and growing up. So I can't believe that you didn't... Well, knowing you, I totally believe that you would turn your nose up at it until you started reading it. And then you're like, okay, fine. This is great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I also love that it was a great... It was a bonding point for you and your mom because yeah. um, that makes perfect sense to when me we too. went to the third movie um it was like right after it opened and and we were seeing prisoner of azkaban and there was a guy i think he was like a drug dealer or something mm-hmm. um because he was taking calls in the theater oh what? like he was in the front Fucking row of jerk. the theater he was a huge dude it's like a special level of pounds. hell reserved for people like that and it wasn't like his phone not rang. drug dealers uh, no, drug dealers are fine. I mean, you know, depending. D- depending. Yeah. But, but, but people who talk in movie theaters. I just wanted to clarify that. But yeah. anyway, so he, it wasn't <laughs> All like people who talk in movie his theaters phone rang and yeah. he was turning it off. Yeah. It was like his phone rang, he answered, he was like, you know, like he was yeah, just yeah, like yeah. carrying on a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And it got to the point where the whole theater was shouting at him, yeah. including me. Yeah. And, and finally, someone went and got security and they escorted him out of the theater and everyone stood up and applauded. Yeah. <laughs> he was escorted out. Do you remember, this is a total sidebar, but a couple years ago we went to Violet Crown, which is a movie theater in Santa Fe. And we were watching Assassin's Creed, right? We were watching Assassin's Creed and... All of a sudden, in the row behind us, this guy stands up, throws his beer, because you couldn't drink alcohol in this theater, which I think you can do in most movie theaters at this point, throws his beer on the, like, probably 15-year-old, 13 to 15-year-old girl girl sitting next to him, and walks out of the theater. Yeah, like, calls her a bitch or something. Yeah. Like, Like, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Like, clearly the guy was crazy or on drugs or something, but it was just the weirdest thing. And luckily, like... 
everyone came to her rescue and you know like like a delightful middle-aged woman was like i got i went to security are you okay are your parents here do you need me to take you and and like in another movie i might have been like oh man i wish this wasn't interrupting the movie but assassin's creed it was yeah like, it was it sort was of like, like this is more interesting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> though you know i'll watch michael fassbender do anything true but anyway that's neither here nor there harry potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So, Harry Potter. So I think that this this is part of why I resent it when people say that Chamber of Secrets is like the weakest book in the bunch because I have such a nostalgia factor with it. Like I'm like holding this book right now because it's tenderly. like very tenderly, but very roughly as well um, <laughs> because I don't want anybody to take it from me. But yeah, this is I like this is my childhood here. You know, and I think you just have to take the Harry Potter books, you have to take them with a grain of salt. And you have to understand that, especially the first two books. I think that J.K. Rowling, she always had a vision for what was going to happen, but she evolved, and her writing evolved. She was still figuring out her voice, kind of. Which is why you can tell the epilogue in the seventh book, which I don't know if you've even read, Winston. Um, (laughs) I may have listened to it. It is... Because she wrote that when she wrote the first book, and you can tell. Whoa. Because her writing got so much better over the years, over the seven books. And it's oh, is the epilogue much... when, like, they're taking their kids yes. to Hogwarts? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Spoilers. I don't know. That's I don't have anything more really profound to say. I just want to flip through the book real quick and see if there's anything. Oh, my mom's inscription. That's so nice. <laughs> And it looks like it looks like she wrote it, or she maybe wrote it in black ink, and then I wrote over it with a silver gel pen, cause like you do. <laughs> okay, so we talked about. Oh, also yes, this is the book where we're introduced to the Whomping Willow. Yep. One of my favorite. I mean, I'll talk more about the Whomping Willow for book three because I do think that, and this is something I'll talk about when we do the Prisoner of Azkaban episode, but. What Alfonso Cuaron does to make the Whomping Willow a character in the third movie is the most brilliant thing that happened in in the entire series. In the entire series, Um, we talked about mudbloods and racism. Man, these these books are so short compared to what they become. The writing on the wall. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, I guess here's a question, since this is a controversial issue. Uh, Winston, how do you feel about Quidditch? Quidditch would be cool mm-hmm. if it were not for the snitch. Yes. I'm very much in line with Shubes on this one, yeah. where it's like the entire game becomes fucking irrelevant when you introduce this snitch thing. Yeah. It's like two. there's two different games, and one of them is interesting, and the other one is just two dudes trying to catch a bug. Yeah. It's, it's, just a device, <laughs> it's just a device to make Harry more important. This right. is also a thing. I acknowledge that, and that's okay. But I just, you know, the sport is just not very well thought out. No, it is not. As I've said before, if you made this catching the snitch worth 50 points instead of 150 points... That maybe, maybe yeah. makes and more also sense. if it didn't end the game, if it was just like a periodic right. bonus, yeah, yeah, um, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Like it's not completely unsalvageable, but it needs huge retooling. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so there we go. That's Quidditch. <laughs> um, next major thing that we're introduced to in this book, 
This book does introduce so many things that come back, elements that come back in the series. The major one, I think, being the Polyjuice Potion. And Dobby. And Dobby, for sure. But the Polyjuice Potion, here's my question. Even though I've listened to slash reread most of the books recently, and I've rewatched a bunch of the movies recently, so in Chamber of Secrets, the movie, when Harry and Ron transform into Crab and Goyle, mm-hmm. they make up this conceit that their bodies change, but their voices don't. Yeah, their don't, voices don't change. Which doesn't make any sense because when because in the fourth when, book yeah, when, when David Tennant becomes Mad Eye Moody when David Tennant becomes uh, 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 Brendan Gleeson, Gleeson yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if we're talking about it in an actor his terms, voice yeah. totally changes but I mean I guess yeah. we're supposed to believe he just like is good at accents or something I mean who doesn't but know, I'm pretty who sure doesn't know Brendan Gleeson here I'm actually I'm just gonna double check this real quick. Yeah, no, in the books, they sound like the people they turn into. Yeah, so that, that's, that makes sense. So that was just a conceit of the movies that they... Because I think that the second movie came out before the fourth book, so I don't think they knew that it was, that was going to be an important element Or the they movie. just wanted, like, it was just a scene choice for whatever reason. Okay, so Polyjuice Potion. Okay, so that was one main thing that I wanted to talk about. We're introduced to Cornelius Fudge in this episode. That's right. Or, I mean, in this book. Also this episode. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. Aragog. Aragog is an interesting one because, yes, we're used to Hagrid. It, it's funny It's funny watching the movie because they, they like, half-ass try to make Hagrid seem really important in this book, in this movie. But, like, not to it. Like, the ending of the of Chamber of Secrets, the movie, doesn't make any sense to me when the, the entire hall, like, stands up and cheers. Right. It's like... And then R2-D2 comes out. Yeah. And he's fixed. And that... <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's what it feels like. It's, <laughs> it's like, just like... It's like, this doesn't feel quite right. Like, yeah, sure, Harry... Ryan and all from... the troops came home for Christmas! Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a little what it feels like. I mean, those movies did come out around Christmas time. Yeah. So they were very much Christmas movies, so I think yeah. that's kind of... Well, they came out in November. No, I think they came the out first... in December. You know what? I was older than you, and I remember better. You know what? I cared more. I don't I don't know that we've established that. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could establish that. I saw both of the first two movies like four times in theaters. Okay, yeah, you care. Yeah. More, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because the first movie came out the same year that Fellowship of the Ring came out. Mm-hmm. And so I, I cared a lot. I cared a lot about movies that, that year. Wait, I want to make sure I'm right. If it wasn't that year, it was the year after. Okay. It was around then, because I remember yeah. when the Fellowship of the Ring came out, I was a freshman in high school, and I saw it by myself. Um, that makes sense, because I was in I seventh grade. I loved it. So good. I loved it. Oh, my God. We've talked about my experience with Fellowship yeah, of the Ring. There's several but, episodes. Yes. <laughs> if you don't know about my experience with Fellowship of the Ring, listen to the first, well, I guess it's the fourth episode. First, then fourth and fifth episode of Pairing. Okay. And then, you know, they're in the Chamber of Secrets. And as you said, they defeat Gilderoy Lockhart, the epitome of male mediocrity, which mm-hmm. I feel like I want to pair a wine with Gilderoy Lockhart. I was going to ask if you were going to pair a wine yeah. with Gilderoy. Well, I sort of did when I talked about Kim Crawford, but I feel bad about that because I feel like Kim Crawford is better than that, except... Is it a, maybe a, a, a cheap Robert Mondavi? Yeah, maybe something. Well, Robert Mondavi... No, I think Robert Mondavi is actually a really good 
equivalent because it's not even cheap. But is it, isn't he like the bad guy in, um, in the Mondovino and he's the one who's like micro oxygenating yeah, everything? Yeah, he's definitely not doing things great. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely doing all that, but he's not. But then he also makes Opus One, right? Yeah. yeah. So he he does all sorts of stuff, but he is kind of like he's like the Ministry of Magic of. Of right. wine. He's, he's not the Voldemort of he's wine. He's the man. Yeah. But yeah, I think Robert Mondavi is actually a very good equivalence to Gildroy Lockhart because just because he kind of epitomizes the the mass production right. and overprisedness. Sanitized mass appeal. Yeah, and sure, like the some of the wines he makes are very good, but there's a lot of wines that are a quarter or less of the price that I think are just as right. good, if not better. Well, and his and influence on the industry itself. Yeah. Again, I'm just going off this documentary I saw. Which I haven't, which I haven't seen. Which I, I don't even know if it's that good, but basically the thesis of that movie is that Robert Mondavi and his ilk are ruining the wine industry yeah. by sort of, by industrializing it basically. Yeah. Which is weird because in order to have a successful wine business you have to industrialize to a certain point yes but they they really harp on in this movie the idea that he goes around like he basically pays all these wine critics to go around and recommend that everybody make their wine taste like his wine yes um it's kind of like oh my god what's his there's a wine critic i want to say it's robert parker but it might not be robert parker who yeah there's a couple of them who come in for big criticism too yeah and but there but there's this like one wine critic who's famous for he likes one style of wine he likes big juicy oaky wine and that is not what all good wine is right it's one style i'm not saying that that's bad but you know he'll come in and give 100 points to something or 95 points to something this is why the point system is stupid because like for example i was pouring this wine i forget what it was at a tasting a few weeks ago and there was a sticker on it that said like 91 points but then if you read the fine print it was like for the previous vintage in Tastes Magazine or something. And it was like, what the fuck is Tastes Magazine? Yeah. You know, like, like it's it's v- it's completely irrelevant. Like, it's basically, yeah. points are basically irrelevant. Yeah, so like being a sommelier, I think, is a totally legit profession. Oh, absolutely. Right? But being a wine critic, that is a fraudulent fucking profession. It depends. I don't believe that it is a real thing. I think it has very well, little to do with the as long as you admit, As history. long as you admit that... Well, I think there are good wine critics out there, just as there are good critics in art and theater and right. dance and all that. Well, I'm not against but, being a critic. But, you know, when it comes to the point when, like, what's his name? The critic for the New York Times who, who like, the theater critic. Emma from the future here, reminding Emma of the past that she was thinking of Ben Brantley. Oh, why can't I remember his name? We're um, old. We forget things. Yeah, we're old. We're for- we forget things. But basically, you know, there are people who often who are of a certain age who subscribe to, like, one critic's opinion. And, like, that is like, oh, yes, well, this must be great because so-and-so said right. it was great. And it's, it's the same for wine. Well, but and I think uh, the wine critics especially seem to be playing a part in homogenizing the industry. Yes. And that, I think, is very bad because this is an artisanal industry, even if it is an industry. It really, I mean, it is tied to the land. That's what terroir is. You know, it's like, it's not like beer, which I love and respect. I think beer brewers are some of the coolest, but that is is a much more 
akin to like an engineering process. Wine is a more of an agricultural process. Yeah. And yeah. And to, to I think there's a little bit of overlap. The nuance yeah. out of it. Well, I don't know. It's, I'm basically it's, just parroting that Mondovino documentary, so you can watch it for yourself and decide. What yeah, I haven't about. seen it, but I'd love to see it. What I would say is that I wouldn't necessarily write off all wine critics just for the, the sake of it. Um, I think there are really clever and thoughtful people who okay. are wine critics. But I I agree mostly that like what what wine criticism well, you're better informed than me. What so. wine criticism has been for the most part up to now is completely subjective, and I agree has sort of brought down the industry. And so like Robert Mondavi, I think is a good I think it's a good equivalent for if not Gilderoy Lockhart, then the Ministry. Yeah, like well, like. I, I actually think he fits Gilderoy Lockhart pretty well because we're talking about this homogenizing of the wine industry, and that is basically sacrificing the institutional memory mm-hmm. of thousands of winemakers sure, right? sure. who have been making this for generations, yeah, and then Gilderoy yeah. Lockhart does the memory thing. I know it's a bit of a stretch, but that you know that's well, the connection I'm trying to make. You know, maybe a closer equivalence might be someone like... Francis Ford Coppola, who I love as like a filmmaker, right? But he makes wine too, and his wine, his wine is not like it's not bad, but he is very successful at it because he's Francis Ford Coppola, right? You know, that yeah. So that, I feel that's like a good I feel too, like I that's a little bit closer, like because he's this successful white man who has right. this, and th- and that happens a lot actually. There's a lot like Kyle McLaughlin who I love and actually his wines are quite good but he, he he's makes he's a winemaker mm-hmm. or he's Holy not a winemaker but he owns a winery in yes. Washington what? called uh, Pursued by Bear because <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that and Kyle McLaughlin is the so, best so, that's from um, A Winter's Tale yes if you way, don't know that's you know, that is the one stage is, direction that, that Shakespeare ever wrote it, it's, it's this character and he's like oh no I'm gonna die a bear is chasing me and then the stage direction just says exeunt Pursued by, by bear, bear. <laughs> and he dies off stage, and it's the funniest thing. Ever. It's 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 so great. But so Kyle McLaughlin, I absolutely love, and he actually makes very good wines. They're maybe a little, you know, they're probably overpriced mm-hmm. because he's Kyle McLaughlin and he can do that. But but he's Kyle McLaughlin. I love him. He's, he's like the captain. he's the captain, and <laughs> yeah, Twin Peaks. And He's, Paul Atreides and Paul Atreides in Dune, one of the best worst movies ever, which we talked about <laughs> in the Dune episode. Yes, yes. bringing it all back, bringing it all yep. back. So yeah, so that that actually would be a really fun episode. We should do that of of famous people who make wine. Like oh, I just talked cool. about in the wrestling episode, the Bella Twins, who are professional wrestlers yeah. with the WWE, they have a wine as well. They nice. make wine. They're not the wine again. You know, for the most part. Man, that's when a these famous fucking thing to do. Yeah, hey, right? what do you do? So, uh, when I'm not professional wrestling, <laughs> I make wine. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, shout out to the last episode. But yeah, I think that would be a really fun episode to do. Of yeah. Well, famous... and we also haven't done The Godfather, which is no, we like have a pretty not. glaring oversight. That is true. That is true. I have seen that movie, all three of those movies, many times. Well, well the third one, not as much because it sucks. But May you eventually, through the course of our marriage read the Harry Potter books as many times as you've seen The Godfather. The Godfather's <laughs> a lot better than Harry Potter. I'm sorry. 
No, I can't agree with you there. Yeah, shots fired. I know. Well, they're they're they're, they're just not the, you just can't compare them. It's like apples and oranges. They're totally different. Are they Okay, are the Godfather films better than the Harry Potter films? Yes. Godfather films are better than most films. Yeah, but I'm not saying I will say the I, Harry Potter books are probably better than the Mario Puzo novels that the Godfather is probably, based on. Probably. Probably. So there you go. There you go. Anyway, as we continue to discuss whether the Godfather... I like Godfather how we were like, or, we're going to wrap this yeah. episode up, and now it's like a whole other episode with That's just okay. as many tangents. Hey, I was planning on... I was, I'm, I'm planning on all the Harry Potter episodes sort of being two episodes. If they're less, that's fine. If they're more, that's fine. There we are. Anything else that you want to say about this book that you know nothing about because you haven't read? Well, actually, not about the book, but the movie. It is the last one we have the mm. original Dumbledore mm-hmm. before Michael Gambon takes over. And Richard the, Harris. The yeah. record, I do think he does an amazing job. Which uh, one? Michael Gambon, mm-hmm. but also Richard Harris. I feel like Richard Harris just sort of embodies the world-weary Dumbledore. The, the thing is, Richard Harris looks exactly like I picture Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And I adore Richard Harris. You've also, you've never seen Camelot, but Camelot was one of my favorite musicals and movies growing up. And he plays Arthur in Camelot and he is just, ugh. He's just like, he's got such heart in every performance that he gives. And, and I mean, he was so old by the time he did the Harry Potter movies and, and I don't think he was very well. And so you don't really get like the, I think how good an actor he is because he's just like, I can just speak, and I am this character. I am about to die. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, well, like Fox, as we're introduced to Fox in this book, Richard Harris, like a phoenix, had to die so that Michael Gambon could be reborn from the ashes. And I, I have mixed feelings about Michael Gambon as Dumbledore. Ultimately, I mean, as we see in the series, because again, I, I maybe Prisoner of Azkaban had come out by the time they made the second movie, but I don't think... I think he does. Or no, Goblet of Fire had come out too. I think too. he's actually a pretty good fit because um, as the series progresses, Dumbledore becomes less of a figurehead and more and more of like a, a- central e- and like an action character. Well, yes, like, and that's like why... He's like Superman, you know? Well, and that's why it wouldn't have worked for Richard Harris to play him throughout the throughout whole the series, whole series yeah. because there are just physically things that he would not have been able to right. do. It's sort of like Christopher Lee, as we've talked about, yeah. was originally up for Gandalf, and I think that would have been all wrong because Ian McKellen just has so much more vim and vigor. Yeah, even know? now Ian McKellen I mean, has yeah. more you vim can't, and vigor. You can't stop him. Well, I remember actually <laughs> when Richard Harris died, they were considering Ian McKellen for Dumbledore, but I think they... They were like, no, he's Gandalf. Yeah, and I think that's <laughs> smart. I think that Ian McKellen would have made an outstanding Dumbledore, but you can't be all both. the wizards. Yeah, you yeah. can't be both Gandalf. I am all the wizards <laughs> now. <laughs> Which you know, and if, Magneto. Yes, if anyone, <laughs> if anyone could do it, it's Ian McKellen. But how do I act so, so well? The, the other uh, fun fun thing, sidebar, when they were casting for young Dumbledore in the new Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them series. I'll tell you who I do not have a problem with is Jude Law. That casting is perfect. Nope, absolutely. I love Jude Law. I would lick anything off of his body. Yeah. <laughs> what an amazing dude. Yes. Um, but they were considering, and this would have warmed my heart a little bit, they were considering Jared Harris 
who Who's that? he's Richard Harris's son. Oh, that's and sweet. he's he's like that guy who's in everything. He's he's in Mad Men, he's the guy who Winston is just refilling his glass. Where's your glass? Where's your glass? By the way, if we make merch, which I do want to do at some point, one of the t-shirts I think should say, where's your glass? Where's your glass? Where's your glass? <laughs> That's uh, a great idea, and I concur. You throwing more wood on the fire? Yeah. Okay, and then we're really going to wrap this up. <laughs> at <laughs> we're some point. Actually, yeah, we're actually going to end this episode. I mean, we could just hang out and keep we recording. Could. We could just, just make be like recording a, all just night. Just make like yeah. a hardcore history four-hour <laughs> episode of pairing. I'll play some songs. Well, you know, I think this is where I think this is where we're just going to record from now, and I don't care if like the sound quality isn't as good. At least we're like by the fire. Who the fuck cares? I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe it's our winter studio. Welcome to Perry. I will be your host. Oh, I didn't see you there. Oh, hello. What if we do masterpiece audio drama or audio podcast? It's not even a drama. Though, there was some drama when I learned that Winston hadn't read most of the it's Harry true. We Potter almost books. got divorced. It was rough. It was very rough. We worked through it, though. Yep. And uh, sacrifices must be made, compromises, and... We're just going to work through it. Yep. And Queen is just going to rip up this piece of tissue paper. So. Do you have anything, any closing thoughts on the book? Or I don't know. I don't know if I have any closing thoughts on the book other than, you know, I think this is a tough book in the, in the scheme of the series. Like if you, like you did and like some people did and just read the series after it had been completed or almost completed. Mm Mm-hmm. I can see why this book might seem like a weak link, but if you grew up with it, this book was a very important stepping stone. And like, like if you think of each book as a step in a ladder, so first book is like the first step and it's very important for creating the world. You see influence from Roald Dahl, you see influence from Tolkien, you see all this influence, but suddenly it, but it does create a world that is its own. Mm-hmm. The second book takes that to the next level. And starts showing you the flaws in that world. Starts showing you the cracks in that world, the flaws in that world. Even if, you know, she doesn't really deal with it yet, she's introducing that. The third book, I think, is like a giant step up. Oh, yeah. The third book is incredible. Third book, I mean, I think most people would agree that the third book is objectively the best book. Like, the third book kind of stands on its own, almost. Like, it's a a part, it, it is definitely a part of the series and is important to the series. But it just, it feels different. Well, it's also a mystery novel. Yeah. Like, it ha- it, it's more than one genre. It's not yes. like children's fantasy or just a magic book. Like, it is, it is a murder mystery, and it yeah. is a very well-done murder mystery. Yes. In the way that, like, Goblet of Fire is kind of a sports book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then Order of the Phoenix is sort of like her version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. Maybe not, but, but I, I think of I think of Umbridge as very much like Nurse Ratchet. Sure, I sure I get that. And inspired by her, sure, because she's terrifying. But also, you know, like a little bit in the fourth book, but the fifth book is really where she starts dealing with like teenager problems. That's true, yeah. And that can be cumbersome and annoying at sometimes, but it is cumbersome and annoying to be a teenager. Yeah. And then the sixth book, which. I think people often say is kind of second best to the third book, which I don't know that I necessarily agree with because I've reread the first four books so many times, Mm -hmm. like so many times. And then the fifth book I've reread a few times because, 
it definitely wasn't my favorite when I read it. I like it more and more every time I reread it and I find new things in it that I think are great. The sixth book and the seventh book I've reread the least, which is to say like... I probably uh, read them or listened to them the most. That makes sense because if you came into it after the fact, but you know, what I would do when I was waiting for the next book to come out was reread all the other books. Right. You know, so it made sense that by the time the seventh book came out, once that happened, I didn't reread the whole series again. I don't think I've reread the whole series again in one go until now-ish. And it's taken me a while to get there. But anyway, long story short, I think Chamber of Secrets has many great things in it and important things in it. I also think it's just a good book and ups the game. And yeah. without, without raising the stakes too high, yeah. raises them a little bit. Does Aragog ever come back? Only when he's dead. In his his funeral in the sixth book, which is very important. Oh, shit. I, that's yeah. right. He yeah. does. Because I was going to say, I thought it was like, it would have been way cool to have Aragog and his army of spiders on the good guy side for the final battle. Oh, that would have been. That would have been. that be dope? Because yeah. Like, yeah, maybe Aragog's kind of evil. But he's really just hungry. And, he's, and, and he follows and he's, Hagrid. And he's Hagrid's friend, yeah. right? So wouldn't that be dope? Just like an army of spiders. That would be. Attacking all the Death Eaters. I don't think that... Well... I don't remember what happens with the rest of the spiders, but I don't think that they take part in the battle. No, they don't. I would have remembered that. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I've learned a lot. This has been an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> Thank you for... <laughs> I feel like everything you've told me is a lie. I put you through so much. I'm sorry. so much. Um, but here we are. And until next time... Cheers. Cheers. Really? <laughs> My <laughs> cup is plastic because I'm yeah. not an adult. No. <laughs> Pairing was created, produced, hosted, and edited by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. If you'd like more information, links, and clarifications on what we talked about this episode, please check out the show notes. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, read, drink, and be merry. <laughs>